Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. So I've received many requests to talk about coping with the anxiety and fears and sometimes even paranoia around teaching our children about body safety, boundaries, and consent. Most of the parents that have reached out about this are parents who are survivors themselves. So this podcast episode is dedicated to talking about what I have personally done And in the show notes of this episode, I'm also going to point you to other episodes where I've interviewed either survivors or mental health professionals, where I talk about how to step into a healing journey and the different ways that you can, you know, the different things that you can do uh, to support your process of educating your family on these most critical and important topics. I first want to thank the parents that reached out because they truly want to do this work and they are also truly triggered by the work. And so I want to say that I see you, I completely hear you and feel you and sympathize with you because this is hard stuff. But the good news is that it doesn't have to be hard stuff. I will be honest, it might be hard at the beginning. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it but it does get easier over time and it gets easier the more you practice it and it gets easier when you have the tools, resources, guidance, and support. And most importantly, it is absolutely worth the work because it is not only healing, but it's also empowering and giving your children the skills that they need to dismantle rape culture, to create consent culture, to become safer, to create a safer world together. You as a parent can do this groundbreaking social change that we need today more than ever. And that's exactly why I started this podcast. It's exactly why I created Consent Parenting and why I keep showing up here week after week. So let's get right to it because there are quite a few things I want to cover that I think are going to help you figure out what your next step is going to be. So to begin with, I wanted to quickly share my story of how I started teaching abuse prevention and how triggering it was to start learning about it and then figuring out how to teach it to my kids. So when my older child was five, my oldest is, was five at the time, I wanted to send them to a summer day camp. And my child was very excited. I was happy because I also had a three-year-old at the time and a one-year-old. And I was running a full-time business. So there was a lot on my plate and it was great to have this extra help and support of being able to send my child to a day camp. But the day before camp started, I was packing all their things to bring, you know, like all of the the extra clothes that you're supposed to bring and like what are they going to have for lunch and all that stuff. 
And I started realizing that I wasn't totally confident in them going to this day camp. I began thinking about how I didn't know all of the people that were working there, the students that were at the camp, there were teens that were volunteers, and how could I be sure they were all safe? Growing up in New York, I'd read stories in the paper about situations where kids got assaulted by teens or adults at camps, and then my mind just started racing. I talked to my spouse and who is not a survivor and he told me I was being paranoid and uh, at the time we were living in Canada and uh, it was a small town and he said you know this is a small town things like that just didn't happen there he'd grown up there and he'd never heard of anything like that so thinking okay I'm being paranoid I just pushed my fears aside, and the next day, as I was dropping my son off and checking everything out and seeing who was there, I felt a bit safer about it, but still, the nagging feeling wouldn't go away. I started to feel anxious and almost had a full-blown panic attack, thinking, what have I done? What if my child doesn't know to tell me? What if they're threatened not to tell me? And I just felt like a horrible mother who hadn't prepared my child and didn't even know how to prepare them. So I almost decided to pull them out of the day camp because I didn't want to live like that for the next four weeks and put my child in potential harm's way. But when I picked him up, he was so happy that he had had such a fun day that I realized that by pulling him from the camp, I'd be depriving him of a fun experience. And it made me realize and remember how my mom had the same fears because she's also a survivor. I didn't know this when I was growing up, but knowing this now as an adult, I realized that she didn't know how to teach us about abuse prevention or consent because it wasn't anything that she'd been taught. So instead, she would just deny us the experiences altogether. We weren't allowed to attend sleepovers or go on play dates or go to things like a camp because she didn't know how to talk to anybody about what their abuse prevention policies were or who is working there? How can I trust them? It didn't help that she was also an immigrant that didn't speak very well in English and just felt there were so many barriers that she just decided not to put us into anything. And so I didn't want to do the same thing and deprive my child of experiencing the world and not teach him how to protect himself. So it was then that I made the decision I was not going to live in that kind of fear. And I was willing to do whatever it took to figure out how to do that while keeping my child safe. So I started to look at all the information and resources that I could get my hands on to learn about how to keep my children safe. But I quickly found out that it meant educating myself so that I could educate my child. 
But the funny thing that I wasn't prepared for was just how triggering that process would become. I didn't realize that it would open the door to my memories of my own childhood and abuse. I didn't realize how my nervous system would react. I wasn't prepared for how I would feel and the need to stop and pause and sometimes feel like giving up and just shutting the world out and not letting my child go off into that scary world. I didn't realize that it would mean looking at the ugly truth that the world doesn't want to talk about this problem, just like, you know, in Encanto, nobody wanted to talk about Bruno. So I felt very alone, isolated, and even more shame about the fact that this was something that happened to me, to my sister, to my mother, and to many others in my family and friends that I knew. I was afraid to talk to anybody about it. I didn't really even want to talk to my partner about it. So I sought help. I looked for a therapist to talk to and figure out how to deal with all the feelings. I made the decision to face my demons and dedicate myself to my healing because I didn't want to pass on my wounds. I didn't want to teach my kids from a place of anxiety. And through the process of healing, I was able to push forward and take on the challenge of learning abuse prevention and consent and putting those pieces together. So in this episode, I want to share with you what I learned in that healing journey, which I'm still on, and when I made the choice to call myself not only a survivor, but also a thriver, and why I believe that we can all become thrivers. So I started seeing a hypnotherapist because I had a lot of foggy memories that I wasn't sure were real, and I didn't want to look at, to be honest. I, it was really scary for me. But I learned through the process that I had not imagined so many of the memories that I had stored in my mind. And I continued to go to therapy and research some of my own ways of healing my nervous system. And I collected a number of tools that I'm going to share here today. Now, I want to just have a quick disclosure to say I am just sharing this uh, from my own experience. I'm not a therapist. I'm not offering medical or mental health advice. I'm only sharing what worked for me in case you're interested in looking this up for yourself and consulting with your own mental health care or holistic professional to make sure that it's the right thing for you. So, the first tool was breathing. And I know that that sounds like such a simple thing, breathing, but learning some breathing techniques can be incredibly powerful because breath and oxygenating your brain are actually incredibly helpful for regulating your nervous system, particularly when you are dysregulated. So I would recommend that you learn some breathing techniques when you're not dysregulated so that you can use them when you are. And this was, funny enough, part of something that I learned 
through a book that I had read years before when I was, when my first child was like barely one. And it's a book that's really for parents. It's called The Whole Brain Child. And it had this breathing technique that you could practice with your child so that when they became dysregulated, you could do it together. And so this was something I already kind of had in my back pocket, but working with a therapist and really determining which breathing technique was the best one for me was super helpful. And oxygenating your mind, or sorry, oxygenating your brain, uh, meaning allowing your nervous system to be regulated by this because when you uh, breathe in more oxygen in slow and specific ways, it sends a signal to your brain that says, we're taking in oxygen normally, things are okay, and that sends a signal to your nervous system to say, things are okay, let's take it easy, calm down, nothing to see here. And this can help the left brain kick back in, which is your logical brain, to kick back in and help you be able to calm yourself so that you, if you're feeling an anxious or panic-stricken moment, you can bring yourself back and ground yourself. So there are many types of breathing techniques you can look up. And finding the right one could be about you know trial and error, but if you have a mental health professional that you can work with on this, they can give you some guidance on what might be the best one for you. So that's number one. Tool number two that I learned how to start using with my therapist was EFT. EFT stands for Emotional Freedom Technique, and is an alternative treatment for physical pain and emotional distress. It's also referred to as tapping or psychological acupressure. People who use this technique believe that tapping the body can create a balance in your energy system and even treat pain. I can attest that EFT has been very helpful for me to regulate, particularly after I've done things like research. Uh, if I'm researching something um, that's going to apply to work that I'm doing or to content that I'm creating or news that I've been reading or documentaries that I've been watching uh, about abuse and that can be very triggering. So I've used EFT to help me regulate as well as perhaps breathing. So sometimes breathing isn't enough um, or I need something additional and I, I go to EFT. So though it's still being uh, researched, EFT tapping has been used to treat people with anxiety and also with post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's similar to acupuncture, EFT focuses on the meridian points or energy hotspots to restore balance to your body's energy. It's believed that restoring this energy can relieve symptoms of negative experience or emotion. Um, so that I can say has been my experience when using it. And I highly recommend that you check out more about EFT. As I mentioned before, I'm going to be sharing links in the show notes so that you can check out, you know, some different resources that I've connected with to see if those can help you as well. Number three tool is guided meditation. 
And I say guided because it's similar to hypnosis. And if you feel like you can't meditate on your own or you're just not interested in it, guided meditations can be really powerful because they are guided so you don't have to kind of reinvent the wheel and they can be very helpful for rewiring your brain and it's a really powerful way to do that because our brains are neuroplastic we can rewire uh, old anxious patterns right we can actually retrain our brain uh, when we're feeling a certain way to redirect it and you can use it for reducing anxiety, for helping you sleep, for grounding your body, for focus, for relaxation, pain relief, um, de-stressing. You can learn how to focus on gratitude and start your day with a you know beautiful guided meditation. Uh, all of these ways actually can really rewire your brain if you do them daily and in different ways. So you can use them proactively or as a way to um, bring yourself back to regulation. Um, after you've done other things like breathing or EFT, guided meditation can be another thing that you can, another tool that you can use. And it's also great for beginners. Um, so if you, you know, even want to practice it with your kids, it's just an amazing mindfulness practicing tool that can also help you learn to connect with and develop your intuition. So I know I have had parents who say, well, how do I know if my intuition about someone or my gut feeling about someone is actually intuition or if it's just my fear? Well, using meditation and, and guided meditation can really help you learn how to um, develop that intuition so that you can know when it is coming from a place of fear versus your intuitive gut, you know, and, and helping you to decipher that. It doesn't happen overnight. None of these things are going to be miracle bullets, but over time they are incredibly powerful. So again, it's, it's, it's a journey. It's not something that just happens overnight, but it is so worth doing because I can now say I'm a thriver because I consistently use these tools and you may start to use them and feel like nothing's happening or nothing's changing, but if you stick with it and you keep practicing it over time, it will make a difference and you will see those changes. Okay, number four, this tool is a self-care practice for me and it is physical activity. So I'm not saying that you need to work out or that you need to go do yoga or that you need to do any of that. For me, it's dancing. Dancing in the kitchen is incredibly powerful and it's incredibly important for me that I have a way to release that physical energy that can be trapped. You know, our emotions cause energy to be stored in our body that if we don't release it, it gets really stagnant in us. And for me, music is also a form of therapy. I love music and it can be an incredibly, um, you know, endorphin inducing activity of just even listening to it. So if you can combine it with something that makes you feel good, like listening to music and going for a walk or listening to music and dancing in the kitchen or listening to music and gardening or 
Whatever it is that you do that's a physical thing, it could be stretching, it could be bouncing on a trampoline, whatever it is for you, that physical activity is really important. And it's also just good health-wise, right? So dancing for me can really help release that trapped energy. Um, I make sure that I'm not listening to music that is connected to times in my childhood. So there are certain, you know, songs that I really love, but they also could potentially trigger me. So I try to only listen to things that are current, that I enjoy, that have good positive connections. So that's number four. Last but not least, and this is one of the most powerful ones that I have learned to use and I wanted to save the best for last, is learning to work with my menstrual cycle. So if you are menstruating, if you um, have a cycle, even if you're pregnant, you can still use the moon cycle to help you uh, track your energy. The natural energy of our bodies and honoring that energy is so powerful to helping you honor your body and honoring that energy. And I know that it's not always possible for everyone. I mean, trying to schedule my time around my cycle and and my schedule around my cycle is tricky, but it is possible. And there are many ways, and I'm going to give you some examples of how you can use this in your life, but this has been incredibly powerful for me, which includes even like when I talk to my kids about certain things that might be triggering for me. So I'll give you an example. We have four different cycles, and uh, usually if I am in my luteal cycle, which is the cycle, which is like basically premenstrual, right? It is the time right before my period. Then I am going to be much more careful about what I use my energy on. So I won't probably be dancing my butt off at this time. I am going to be doing physical activity that involves things like stretching or going for a walk instead of a jog, which I don't I don't really go for jogs, but I'm just saying if you're into that, if you like going for walks or like going jogging, well, maybe go for a walk instead of a jog at that time because your body is actually in a lower energy part of your cycle. So for example, uh, during that time, your hormones, your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone reach their peak concentrations and then begin to fall to their lowest levels right before bleeding begins. So estrogen thickens the uterine lining and progesterone keeps the uterine lining in place in anticipation of a fertilized embryo. Your brain chemistry is optimized this week for task and detail orientation and bringing projects to completion. PMS is a common but not necessary part of this phase and results from maybe too much estrogen in relation to progesterone production. Now you're saying right now probably like why are we talking about all these hormones like how does this have to do with anything well where our hormones are at different times of our cycle will really help determine how we feel what we um, are better at doing so as an example during your ovulation phase this is when your f a um, what is it called your fsh hormones uh, are 
followed by the rise in LH, lute luteinizing hormones. <laughs> I can't say that. They stimulate the follicle um, to release an egg, right? So estrogen increases further to thicken the uterine lining and testosterone begins to surge, driving desire and then drops around ovulation. The verbal and social centers of the brain are stimulated by hormones this week. So talk about what you want with everyone you talk to this week. This is a good time for important conversations. Connect with your community and enjoy being magnetic because that's what ovulation is all about. It's about attracting and this doesn't mean attracting the opposite sex or the same sex or being sexy. This can be that, but it is also about open communication and being able to, you know, connect with people in really powerful ways versus at the time when you're maybe menstruating and you feel like you don't want to talk to anybody and you want everyone to leave you alone and everything annoys you, right? So really learning about your cycle um, and I'm going to share an app that I use to help me track my cycle, which also gives me information about where my cycle is and what hormones are active at that time of my cycle, which is where I got all that information from. So um, you can check out that link in the um, in the show notes. But this is an example of, you know, what you can learn about yourself and when is maybe the right time to talk about certain things. So during your ovulation phase is probably the best time to talk to your kids about abuse prevention and talking about maybe things that might feel triggering versus doing it at a time of your cycle when you are more likely to be sensitive and feel um, you know, aggravated by things and are probably more likely to be easily triggered. And it also helps you to understand why you might be responding to other people in certain ways at certain times of your cycle. So as an example, for me, I remember in the beginning when I was doing this work and I was seeing a therapist and I started my healing journey and I remember there was a one point where I got triggered by something and it brought up all these memories and I started feeling like I couldn't cope with what was happening and I was feeling really anxious and fortunately I had a tool I started doing some breathing techniques and I was able to calm myself down and then I reflected on why I was feeling so triggered by something that normally wouldn't trigger other people so I remembered that I was in a part of my cycle where I was low energy, I was easily aggravated by things, I was like, I was in my luteal phase. I did not want to be talking about stuff, I really just wanted to be inward. And that powerful information made me realize that it wasn't me being unable to cope. It was just that I was in a part of my energy cycle where I needed to be gentle with myself, I needed to give myself more grace. I needed to be uh, inward and focusing, maybe journaling on it instead of processing it with other people. And it gave me permission to forgive myself for not being able to deal with something in that moment. But I had some other tools that helped me at least regulate, journal on it, and then in a week or two, when I was supposed to meet with my therapist and I was in a different phase of my cycle, I was able to talk to them and process what had happened. 
And so that on its own was incredibly powerful for me to recognize and to allow myself the reminder that this is an ongoing journey and there are bumps in the road and some of those bumps happen at the wrong time and some of those things can be talked about in really powerful ways at other times and all of it is okay because I am a natural cyclical being. So that was really powerful and that's continued to help and guide me in the work that I do. Um, Another way that I use it is that I know when I'm in my luteal phase or my menstrual phase, I am not doing heavy research. I purposefully do not dive into documentaries or reading, you know, certain amount of news or certain amount of work that I give myself a little bit more grace that my, I communicate to my kids. Okay. Like mommy needs some time this week. This is going to be a week where, you know, let's focus on talking to daddy or to whoever that support person is for the week. Um, because mom needs a little bit more time and space and being able to communicate that and honor that energy cycle has been golden. So I hope that you can start to do something similar in your life. This is something that I've talked about in my parenting community as well um, with my Prepare to Prevent program, which is an eight-week program. We talk about this as well because you can't double down on abuse prevention education straightforward. It's not a straight-on process. It is about really learning how to navigate these things in ways that support us so that we can continue to do the work consistently because we cannot just check off a few boxes, read a few books and say, okay, I did the abuse prevention and then hopefully, you know, that's it. We're going to come across situations where we have to talk to other adults about what we're doing and that might seem scary and intimidating and we might be triggered because it's an in-law or our own family or we might be afraid of having that conversation and maybe planning that conversation around the time when you're ovulating versus when you're in your menstrual cycle is going to be more effective. And so this is why I decided to help parents who are survivors because it's a very unique experience and you're not alone in that uniqueness, which kind of sounds like an oxymoron because it's, it's a common, unique experience. But it's nothing that you should feel shame about. It's not, you're actually not alone. And it's actually so much more common than you think. But the problem is that because most survivors don't talk about it with other survivors or aren't comfortable openly sharing about the fact that they're survivors, they don't talk to other survivors who could tell them, I'm going through that too. I've been there too. I'm doing this. Or I don't know how to navigate this. Do you know how to do that? Have you gone through that? And you'll find community and solace in knowing that you're not alone. It's unfortunate that there are so many of us because it brings to focus the fact that this is such a huge problem that we need to all tackle. And we all need to get together and say, this stops here. And the only way that we can do that is through healing ourselves so that we can keep doing this really important work, not just for our kids, but for ourselves. 
So I hope that this helped you today. I would love to hear your feedback. Let me know what you're going to put into practice. And please be sure to share this with others because you never know what other survivor parents are in your circle of moms and parents that are doing this work too. Thanks so much for listening. I hope this helped. I'm sending you so much love and I want you to know you're definitely not alone. Don't miss the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture, one conversation at a time. Stay empowered.